You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Radio Show, the DNB Supply Podcast. Welcome back to both. And I uh, want to bring a, a repeat guest to us today. And that's going to be Melinda Stafford. She was on before talking all about beekeeping, and she's going to come back on today and talk with us about harvesting your honey. And it's it's that time of year. As a matter of fact, some of you may have already harvested some honey or all of your honey that you're going to harvest for the year. But we wanted to bring this episode to you with some tips, some tricks, some thoughts on if you want to sell your honey and things like that. So I, I think you're really going to enjoy hearing what she has to say. She is a wealth of information and really, really passionate about raising bees and honey and beeswax and so much information. We couldn't get into it all on this episode, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. And so we will start that interview with Melinda right now. Well, joining us again today is Melinda Stafford. She's the Campus Programs Coordinator at Boise State University as well as the Boise State University Bee Team Advisor, and she's going to be talking with us today all about harvesting your honey. Melinda, thank you very much for coming back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this. I, uh, As anyone who listened to our previous episode we did together knows that I'm new to uh, raising bees, but very much excited about it and so I like getting you're a wealth of information I like like getting this information from oh good you. I wanted to start off just by asking you how has this season been for bees and for beekeepers in our region it's been an interesting one so it probably depends on who you ask but this winter was a really tough one so uh, it was really cold which uh, was problematic for some folks but it was also really long so some folks uh ran into some issues where their hives ran out of honey a little sooner than Mm -hmm. they had expected. And so emergency feeding plans sometimes work, sometimes don't. But also what was interesting about this last year was the fall went a little bit longer than it normally does. And so bees were staying active later into the fall, eating through some of their honey stores a little bit earlier because they were very active. And so that's why for some people, the, the honey just didn't last through the winter. Okay. So that was a problem for some, not to mention just the the troubles that we continue to face with varroa mites. Mm-hmm. And uh, really the bigger issue is the viruses that they transmit. So there were some folks I know who were normally very successful beekeepers who lost 80, 90% of their hives. Oh, wow. So that being said, to answer your question, some people's honey harvest this year has been pretty low because the amount of hives they got through winter was pretty low. So that's some people's stories. And then other folks have had a really successful season. We had a pretty wet spring and so lots of things were in bloom and doing well. And so the nectar availability has been really good for a lot of beekeepers. Okay. Well, that brings up a really good question then. So for the new you know, the new beekeeper, the person who's getting started, when they're opening up and they're deciding whether or not they're going to harvest their honey, how can they tell if they have normal production or high production or maybe low production? That's a great question. So it's important to understand that bees make honey not for our consumption, but so that they can survive winter. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to be able to assess the amounts that you have and if you have enough to harvest. So the general rule of thumb is 60 to 80 pounds of honey is what hives in our area need to get through winter. Well, what does that actually look like? Mm -hmm. That's generally seven to eight deep 
frames of honey, or if you have medium boxes like I do, I always make sure to leave a full uh, 10 frames of honey, plus maybe a little bit more on the sides of their brood area. Mm -hmm. And that usually does the trick. Although this past winter, I was thankful that I left more because they did eat through more than that amount. So if you want to err on the side of caution, leaving 10 deep frames or more medium frames of honey on your hive over winter is is ideal. Okay. Well, great. Now, you had suggested something as we were talking off the air, and I think right now is probably a great time to bring it up, but let's define honey really quick. How is it different than just say straight sugar? Yeah. So honey is a fascinating product. It's derived from nectar, which is in many flowers that bees are pollinating. And so they bring that nectar back to the hive in an organ that they have called their honey stomach. So it's not a stomach that they digest and Mm -hmm. consume, but that they use as a storage facility. They bring it back to the hive and they regurgitate it, or some people say vomit it (laughs) up and pass it to other bees in the hive who their role at that time is to help the honey process. So those bees take it from the ones that brought it from the flowers, chew it up like bubble gum, and then deposit it into a cell in the hive for further curing. So the key difference between honey and nectar is that nectar has a, a water content of about 50% and honey gets dehydrated down to 17% or lower so that it won't perish, so that it will last forever, which it will. Okay. Very, very cool. I'll tell you what, let's take our first commercial break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about the timing when it comes to honey collection. Perfect. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler Apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. If you think buzzing insects are annoying, just think about your horses. Without arms to swing and swat with, flies and gnats can land right in their eyes and ears, leading to sores, infections, and even allergic reactions. So this summer, protect your horses with Dervet Fly Control Masks from D&B Supply. Dervet Fly Control Masks keep a horse's eyes fresh and clean, preventing infections and improving vision for your noble steed. Dervet Fly Control Masks, available with and without ear protection at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Melinda, well, now that we're back, let's talk about timing for a second. So what is the right time of year to begin collecting your honey? So it depends on a couple of factors. So something that beekeepers need to think about is, do they have enough? which we discussed earlier, but if a beekeeper does not see that they have enough honey yet, they will want to wait till later in the season to harvest when they can assess if the hive is going to produce enough. Mm -hmm. So some hives that are booming right off the bat and are producing a ton of honey, you might be able to assess the hive and say, wow, this this hive's really strong. I can harvest in late May or early June. That's really fortunate. But uh, you also have to be prepared to harvest that early. So sometimes folks would rather wait until later in the season and harvest all at once rather than harvesting twice. So if you're going to harvest in early June, you're, you might be able to or need to harvest again before the end of the season. So assessing if you want to harvest once or twice is something you got to think about. Now, uh, if when somebody is, is opening up the hive and they're looking in there and they're trying to figure out whether or not to harvest, how do they know what they're looking at? 
Yeah. So there's different types of things that you're looking at when you pull up a frame out of a hive. Mm -hmm. So you could be looking at nectar. You could be looking at honey. You could be looking at pollen, or you could be looking at brood in various stages. And brood's the term we use to talk about baby bees. So it's important to be able to identify those things in your hive. So looking at photos and books or online, and then going into your hive and being able to identify those different things is really important. So you want to make sure that you're grabbing frames that only have honey on them. Pollen's okay as well, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to harvest a frame that has any type of brood on it, eggs, larvae, pupa, because... Well, that would be pretty gross to get into your honey. Might give it a unique flavor, but probably not something you want. So it's important to be able to look at a frame and definitely tell the difference between brood and honey. The fortunate thing is bees work their hive much like layers of an onion. So the center and the bottom, bottom center are going to be the brood area. And then they kind of create these rings over the top of it of pollen and honey. So generally as the bees work up, it's just going to be honey. Okay. So if you have a hive that's multiple boxes high, you're probably going to find brood in the bottom and you're probably going to find honey on top. When somebody is removing frames and they're going to harvest honey out of those frames, there's going to be bees on those frames, right? Right. So what's a, how do they get those bees off? How do they safely remove them? So the most economical way, especially for a hobbyist beekeeper that just has a couple of hives, the best thing to do is to lift the frame up, assess that it's just honey by turning it around, and then hold it perpendicular to the ground and just give it a swift up and down motion until most of the bees fall off back into the hive. Mm-hmm. From there, um, you're still probably going to have a few bees on the hive. And if you have access to a brush with nylon bristles that are really soft, you can buy those specifically for beekeeping. Mm-hmm. You can gently brush off the extra bees. Now, the next step is actually maybe the most important. You want to put that frame into somewhere else where the bees can't just go find it again. Okay. So that might mean a couple of things, passing it off to someone who can then take it inside to where you're going to harvest or putting it into another hive box that has a lid on it so that you can cover it back up. Okay. So if you leave it exposed, they're going to smell the honey and go back to it? Right. Yeah. And not all of them, but a few will find it and say, gold mine, I just found some honey we can take back home for free. And then they'll go tell their friends and you'll notice more bees going to that frame to bring that honey back. Okay. Now, when you give that frame that shake, do you agitate the bees? Does that agitate them when you do that? I think you'd be surprised that it doesn't really bother them that much because they fall right back into their hive where they have plenty of work to do. So, um, you know, frame after frame after frame of doing that, you'll notice that they might start to get a little bit grumpy. So having a smoker on hand is helpful, but you shouldn't notice them getting overly agitated, especially if you're being careful to not pinch or squish any bees in the process. Mm -hmm. If you do happen to pinch or squish a bee in the process, They're going to release, is it called an alarm pheromone? Is that right? Right. Yeah. So when bees sting or when they get squished and and are killed, an alarm pheromone is released that tells the others that there's a problem and that the problem is right here where the pheromone is. Okay. So uh, puffing that spot with a little bit of smoke can dissipate that to where it's not as big of a problem. Okay. But learning to be a a careful beekeeper comes a, a long way. Okay. And you know, while you're doing this, if you're worried about agitating bees, are there colors that the bees get worked up over or they don't like? Yes. Yeah, so wearing white is a great option, which is why you see so many beekeepers wear white suits, mm-hmm. but also just light colored clothing in general. So tan or just a soft uh, yellow 
uh, can be safe, but black or really dark colors, bees are attracted to as problematic because over time, evolution has taught them that the dark spots on the face of animals, like mm-hmm. bears, is the spot that hurts to sting the most. Okay. So they go towards that, usually with a little bit more agitation. So avoiding wearing dark colors or even clothing that has dark spots on it, like a logo that's really dark. Sometimes if they're getting agitated, you'll notice them butting heads with that spot on your shirt. Okay. So they're recognizing those darker colors as as threats to the hive or predators or something like that. Right. Okay, got it. So you talked about the soft bristled brush, the nylon bristled brush. Right. Uh, What other methods can people use when they're collecting honey to protect themselves, uh, but also to protect the bees? As far as protecting themselves, it's important to make sure that you're wearing a hive suit and and especially covering your face in the process. Uh, It's really not all that different from what you would wear during a hive inspection, though. I think some people have a conception that bees just get super angry when you take their honey, Mm -hmm. which can be the case, especially later, later in the season when they're getting in heavy winter mode. But this time of year where it's still summertime, wearing your normal protective gear is is usually all that you'll need. And keeping a smoker on hand so that you can puff smoke on the bees if you notice them getting a little grumpy. And also to push them down into the lower boxes so that you have less bees to brush off to begin with. All right. Well, let's take another commercial break. And when we come back, I got another question about safety, I guess. And then I want to know kind of what happens once we get the frames into the secondary location. Sounds great. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hardworking and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion forward looks to fit your daily life stop on by dnb supply to try danner boots on for size good nutrition can mean the difference between best in show and better not go so how can you make sure your future prize winning livestock is getting exactly what it needs to succeed seasoned showmen and women use neutrina show edge Neutrina Show Edge provides a simple program that gives you the edge in the ring so you can focus on what it takes to be a winner Neutrina Show Edge Livestock Feeds and Supplements, available at your local D&B Supply. Well, Melinda, I've got a follow-up question in terms of the safety for the bees, safety for the handlers. If there is some agitation while you're doing this, let's say there's some agitation and before you get the smoke out, you get stung on your protective suit a couple times. Now, do I understand correctly that they've now marked that suit with that alarm pheromone? That is true. Yes. So if you if you notice that they've stung your clothing, sometimes you might not notice because you may not feel it. Mm-hmm. But if you've noticed that they have started to sting your clothing, uh, it's important to just take a step back, puff that area with a little bit of smoke, give the bees a minute to just relax without mm-hmm. you being there. And then generally you can get right back after it. Sometimes for whatever reason, the hive may be just particularly agitated that day. Um, And if you're noticing that your normal mechanisms are not working, Mm -hmm. it might be a good choice to come back another day. Okay. Well, and I wanted to follow up with that. So if you get stung on that protective clothing and they've marked it with that that pheromone, uh, you've used a little smoke to dissipate that for the time being while you're working that day. But what about the next time you come out to check the hive a month from now or whatever it may be, however long you suggest, will that scent still be on that clothing? 
That's a great question. And I'm not entirely sure how long a pheromone from a release stinger will stay around, but I don't think it's too long, especially if you're puffing smoke on something Mm -hmm. and then if you hang it up uh, where it can kind of air out somewhere else, it should be fine to wear another day. So uh, getting stung on your suit is pretty normal. I usually wash mine just once a year to keep it in good shape, but it should be fine to wear again another day. All right. So now you've got the trays collected. Somebody's moved them to a secondary location. That part of the process is done. Now it's time to collect the honey from the trays. What do you do next? So the next step is getting all of your equipment ready, really. And that's actually probably something that should be done before you even start pulling the frames out of the hive, just to make sure you have everything you need. Mm -hmm. So assessing that you have all the supplies you need before you begin the next process. But then the next step in that process would be to remove the wax, that thin layer of wax that's holding the honey into the cells, Mm -hmm. removing that carefully so that the honey can then come out. Very good. And what equipment do you need for this whole process? So there's uh, there's a few things that I'll list off, but please know that there's variations to many of this. So this is what I use on a regular basis and what I find is probably a good budget-friendly way to start. A brush to remove the bees off of the frames can mm-hmm. be really helpful. Uh, you need some sort of an extractor, something that will get the honey out of the frames. And we use an extractor that uses centrifugal force. It spins mm-hmm. and then the honey is pulled out uh, off the frames. That's something you can purchase for several hundred dollars. It's also something you can borrow from the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club if you're a dues paying member. Okay. A hot knife is something that I use to remove the wax cappings from the frame so that the honey can come out. Mm-hmm. It's a knife that plugs in and gets hot and is sharp. And so it removes the wax both ways by being sharp and by warming it up. You can also use a nice flat knife that you dip into hot water regularly to keep it warm. That can be an economical option if you have just a hive or so. Uh, Some sort of bucket or buckets to use for storage. Some sort of filter, which I think the best filter if you're starting is just some pantyhose. It's super cheap and it serves the job really well and it makes cleanup pretty easy because you can throw it away. Uh, I think a colander is really helpful, something that you can put the wax cappings into so that the honey that's still stuck to it can drip off. Okay. And then some sort of honey jars, some container that you're going to put the honey in to then give as Christmas gifts or keep for yourself. Now, you talked about using the colander for the wax and getting the rest of the honey out of that. Do you have to do anything like smash the wax or something like that to get it all to drain or will it just drain by gravity over time? Gravity over time is really the best option um, I have found. So what I do is I take a colander and I use this just for beekeeping because the wax really does stick to it and then it makes it kind of hard to use for other things. So uh, you can get a cheap one at the dollar store or at Walmart or something. Mm -hmm. But putting that colander in another bucket that's slightly larger so that the honey can seep off of the wax through the colander and into another container below where you can then filter it. But you'd be surprised how quick that honey will just drip right off the wax. And then what I do with the wax is I scoop it up and kind of smash it into a ball in my hand and then put it in another container where I save it up and use it for wax crafting projects for another day. Okay. So don't throw it away. It is so valuable (laughs) and good for so many things. Okay. Very good. And I, I wanted to ask you, and we'll just jump to that right now. So what other byproducts are you going to get when you harvest your honey and, and what can you do with, with all of them? 
So really, the the you're just going to get the two byproducts of honey and then beeswax. Okay. Um, some beekeepers do harvest pollen, but that is through a separate process using pollen traps, for example, uh, where it collects the pollen off the bees' legs before they enter the hive. Mm-hmm. But in the in the honey harvesting process, you'll just be uh, getting honey and beeswax, which are both fantastic byproducts. Honey serves as a great gift for mm-hmm. people um, around the holidays, and there's some awesome things you can do with beeswax that I'm happy to to talk about on another episode because that (laughs) could really be a conversation all on its own. But those are the two byproducts you're looking at. Okay. Something I've I've heard of before is called royal jelly. Mm-hmm. And now is is that another byproduct or am I misunderstanding that? So it is a byproduct, but it's part of the brood rearing process. So okay. royal jelly is a product that the bees create and they feed it to developing larvae to mm-hmm. turn into a queen bee. So okay. all bees that they're raising are given a little bit of royal jelly, which um, helps their development. But queen bees, bees that the worker bees say, we're turning this one into a queen, mm-hmm. they will feed that specific larva a larger amount of royal jelly. So that is a byproduct of keeping bees, but harvesting it is uh, very different than harvesting honey. That's something that usually is something experts do more often than than hobbyists, although um, with practice and patience and learning, you can learn to harvest that. Okay. All right. Well, let's take another commercial break and uh, continue this conversation in just a moment. Nowhere to go for good-looking boots that won't break the bank? For that authentic Western look on a budget, D&B knows that you can turn to Laredo Boots. Laredo Boots have a loyal following for dealing out that real Western look and feel with detailed stitching and traditional designs from the best of the Old West. They're also known to be tender on the feet while saving your hard-earned legal tender. Stick out around town without the sticker shock with Laredo Boots, available at your favorite D&B Supply. Jumpstart your pet's healing with Vetresin Plus Wound and Skin Spray, Eye and Ear Care, and Hotspot Hydrogel. Vetresin products are safe, non-toxic, and contain no antibiotics or steroids. Make bath time healthier for your pet and easier for you with Vetresin Foam Care Shampoo. It sprays on for quick coverage, foams up instantly, conditions skin as it cleans, and rinses easily. Vetresin Animal Wellness products are the safest, most effective way to help your animals heal. Visit them online at vetresin.com. Okay, Melinda. Well, let's talk about using the extractor again. I've only done it one time, but I know that you've done it quite a bit. You've got a lot of tips and advice on kind of little tricks and and ways to do that. Tell us what those are. So when using an extractor, the thing that I found is most helpful is regardless of how many frames it holds, some hold two, three, four, or more, Mm -hmm. putting frames in that are equal weight as much as you can makes spinning a lot smoother. And you can imagine if you put, mine's just a two-frame extractor, I have a very small one, Mm -hmm. but if I put a heavy uh, frame that weighs eight pounds next to a frame that isn't full and only weighs two or three pounds, Mm -hmm. when I spin it, it's going to wobble like crazy, making that spinning process a lot more difficult and also ends up risking that I tear up my frames a little bit from the weight being off balance. So that's a, a helpful tip. The other thing to keep in mind is to spin the frames, start slow and then work up to a faster speed and then maintain that fast speed for a couple of minutes on each side. If you pull up the frame and you still see pockets of honey that didn't quite come out, Mm -hmm. use a fork to 
pop them open and keep going. Because if you leave little pockets of honey, you'd be surprised how quickly that adds up to multiple jars that you've left behind. Okay. Um, And then same when you're about to turn the frames, just double check that you've really got all of the honey out of it. The other thing that I think is helpful is assessing when to open up that honey gate, the the valve on the bottom of the extractor, mm-hmm. because if you start to spin after you've harvested quite a bit of honey, you'll notice some resistance because it's all collecting in the bottom okay. and it's causing the extractor to not be able to turn. So getting your filtering process ready before you even start extracting. Okay. Now you mentioned something about both sides. So when you are using the extractor and you're spinning, you have to spin and extract from one side, then flip the frames. Is that right? Or spin in opposite direction? What do you do? It depends on what kind of extractor you have. Some hold the frames tangentially and some hold them radially. Okay. So if you have a high or you have, if you have an extractor where they're all in there making kind of a star shape, it Mm -hmm. will actually is extracting from both sides at once and you don't need to flip the frames over necessarily. But if you have one, like mine, it holds two frames parallel to each other and Mm -hmm. then it spins. So it's only harvesting, it's only uh, pulling the honey from the outside of the frames and then I have to turn them over so that the inside now becomes the outside. Okay. Storing your honey. You talked about jars and you talked about buckets. Uh, So what I'm assuming is when you're getting the bulk of the honey out of the extractor, that's when you want to use the bucket. And then after that's all done, you can transfer it into individual individual jars. Is that what you're talking about? Correct. There's lots of ways you can do it. If you have jars on hand and you have people to give honey to, you can jar your honey that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the process of harvesting honey is not short. So sometimes it can be more beneficial to harvest it and store it into a big bucket and, and then even maybe filter it later if you don't have time to filter that day or filter it and then leave it in the bucket to where you can then pour it into jars at a later date. Okay. So it depends on how much time you have and if you have the jars on hand ready to go. But the nice thing about storing the honey in a big bucket and not jarring it that day is over time time, all the little particles that your filter did let through mm-hmm. will raise to the top of the bucket. Okay. And then if you have a bucket that has a honey valve or a, a gate on the bottom mm-hmm. of it, you can pour your honey into jars from the bottom where the honey is much more purified. Okay. So that's kind of a, a neat tip, especially if you're going to enter it into the fair. <laughs> okay. Very good. And then what about crystallization with the honey? At, at what yeah. point do you have to concern yourself with that? So it's interesting. It depends on the flowers that your bees were pulling nectar from, but some honey will crystallize very quickly mm-hmm. and some honey will never crystallize. So uh, depending on the year, I've had honey crystallize quickly and I've had some that just never has still. So if it crystallizes, no worries. You have a couple of options. This time of year, you can set it out on a hot sidewalk and it'll it'll liquefy pretty quickly. Okay. In the winter, um, you have to be a little bit more careful, but you can put the jar in some hot water and it'll liquefy. And when you do that, is it changing the honey at all? Is it? Are you losing any benefits from the honey when you warm it back up? You're not. That's the great part of honey is it's by gently heating it, you can return it back to its liquid state. Microwaving it, on the other hand, will fundamentally change the product. So I encourage people to not re-liquefy honey by microwaving it. Okay. Gentle heat. Well, you know, and my daughter and I love honey and... Uh, we don't mind it when it crystallizes in the jar because then we take a spoon, 
giving away something about my sweet tooth here, <laughs> but a spoonful of crystallized honey is a nice... Is tasty. Yeah, it's pretty... It's not bad. <laughs> okay. Well, let's take our last commercial break, and when we come back, I want to ask you about somebody, what do they do if they want to sell their honey? Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B Supply. Did you know that a horse's top line plays an important role in how that horse performs, looks, and feels? That's why Neutrina offers top-line balance and select horse feeds available at DNB Supply. Not all feeds are created equal, and not all feeds can improve a horse's top line. It took years of research and field trials to develop this unique approach to equine health. So look for the top-line balance logo on select Neutrina horse feeds. For a healthier top line, stop on by DNB Supply for top-line balance from Neutrina. Okay, so we talked about this collection process for your personal use or if you're going to give away honey as a gift. How does this change or does it change if you want to go out and you want to sell your honey to other people? It does slightly, but I think you'll be surprised at how unregulated the honey selling process actually is. So if you are selling honey just on a small level to family, friends, people you know, Mm -hmm. you just have to put a few things on the label. So you need to put the honey in some sort of container that you know the weight or volume of it. And that needs to be indicated on the label. So I sell a lot of honey in two ounce, eight ounce and 16 ounce jars. So my labels have that measurement on it. If you're selling honey, it also needs to have some sort of contact information. So putting your name and a phone number, name and an email, Mm -hmm. name and a mailing address, something like that. So that if someone needed to contact you, they could. And that's really about it. Uh, so that's if you're selling at a at a very small level. If you're wanting to sell at a larger level, putting your honey in grocery stores, there's an additional process for that where you need to make sure that you're bottling your honey in an approved kitchen for food service. So for Boise State University, the B team, they have to make sure that when they're jarring their honey, they're using the kitchens on campus that are approved for food service so that it's nice and clean and they can clean out the jars uh, before they use them, and that allows it to be approved for commercial sales. So we're talking about a commercial kitchen. Right. Okay. Yep. And then in terms of, if you're going to sell it commercially like that, in terms of cleaning the jars, the lids, all of that, is there is there a certain process people have to follow? Um, there, there's not an outline process for it, but when you buy jars, it is it can be really helpful to make sure that those are clean just by hand washing them, mm-hmm. or if they're glass, you could put them in a dishwasher to sterilize them. Okay. So what what is the difference? Why, I guess, are the regulations or the requirements less stringent if you're doing just a direct person-to-person sale versus trying to go into a supermarket? I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, honey, much like maple syrup or other what they consider cottage products, they're just natural things that exist there that we're putting in a container and selling. Mm -hmm. So there's very few regulations when it's on a small level. And it would be really hard to regulate it um, at a small level too. So that may be one of the reasons for it. Uh, But I'm 
I'm very happy that it's lenient because it really is a product that just exists out in nature that we're just putting into a mm-hmm. container. So the only other thing to keep in mind is if you add anything to the honey, you have to list that on an ingredients. Okay. So if you were to infuse honey with, say, lavender, you would need to list that on an ingredients. Otherwise, you don't need to list ingredients because the ingredient is honey. Okay. Well, let's talk about you've You've got this all done. You've got your honey stored. It's in jars. Now it's time to clean up. Uh, let's talk about the trays because those are going to go back to the hive. Is there anything you need to do after you've collected to clean up the trays before they go back to the hive? You really don't. So the if, if you do a good job extracting, the frames should be just the frame and some wax that was originally holding the honey into the cells. Mm-hmm. And so if you harvest early, say in June or even early July, you can put those frames back in the box that they came from back on the hive. And if your hive's doing really well, they can refill those again. Hmm. This time of year, however, July 31st is my general cutoff for harvesting honey. So if if I harvest at July 31st or early August, I'm not going to put those frames back on the hive because that's empty space for them to have to keep warm during the winter. So what I do, um, and you have to be a little careful with this, but I put those frames in boxes out near the apiary to where they'll just lick them clean to where they're not even sticky anymore. Okay. And then I store those up for winter. Okay. And what I do before I store them up for winter is I put some PDB mothballs in the boxes just for a little while so that any wax moths that might have laid eggs there mm-hmm. will not turn into a giant mess over the winter season. Okay. Air them out for several days before you put them back on a hive and there's there's no problems. Okay. So when you put them out by the apiary so they can clean them off, how long does that take? Just a couple of days, if that. Uh, The bees get after it pretty quick. Uh, You have to be careful with robbing. So if you have a hive that's really strong and one that's really weak, you might find that the strong hive steals that honey and then, oh, finds this weak hive that they also start stealing honey from. Okay. So you do have to be careful with with robbing when doing that, but it is a great way to get your frames nice and clean so that when you store them up, they're not sticky. Okay. So August, uh, excuse me, July 31st, that's your cutoff, not for harvest, but for replacing those trays back into the hive? It's mostly my deadline for varroa mite treatment purposes. Okay. So if if you harvest honey in late July, you can treat for varroa mites before they get too big of a stronghold on your hive going into winter. And many varroa treatments, not all, but many are not approved to use while you have honey that you plan to harvest on mm-hmm. your hive. So you have to wait until after you harvest to then apply that treatment. Got it. So that's my general deadline, but it also gives the bees time to harvest a little bit more before winter sets in. So July 31st, August 1st is a good time frame to aim for as a deadline. Okay. And then if you are using your method and you're you're storing those trays over the winter, when at what point in the spring do you put them back on the hive? So I assess the strength of my hive and if the population is building up to where they're using 70% of their space or more, I will add an additional box. Okay. And then once they start filling that out to 70% or more, I'll add an additional one. Okay. And when you go to to do that, how do you do that safely for the bees? Adding the adding the box, mm-hmm. adding the honey super. So it's pretty simple. You can just really take the lid off and add it right on top. Okay. And and just, you know, be careful not to squish any bees in the process, which generally isn't too big of a deal, and then put the lid on top of the newest top box. Okay. All right. Well, this has been great wonderful information. Before I let you go, I want to just ask you through your experience, just for general tips, tricks, 
What mistakes have you made you could tell us about so we don't all have to make them too? I would say the biggest one is to clean as you go. Honey miraculously gets everywhere during this extraction process by one little drop getting on the ground, you stepping on it, and then tracking it all over the place. Mm -hmm. So keep some hot water and some rags around so that the second you see a a drop of honey go where it doesn't need to go, Mm -hmm. you can clean it up. Next tip is to harvest honey when it's warm. Don't take the frames off, set them aside for a while to where they cool off, and then harvest because the honey is going to come out like molasses painfully slow and it will take a lot of elbow grease Mm -hmm. and the biggest one harvest indoors if you harvest outdoors all the bees will find you and it will be quite the mess (laughs) so a garage that you can clean up or a kitchen if your wife's okay with it can be great places but it's got to be inside got it okay well this has been great thank you so much for coming back and doing this and now we're going to have to schedule another episode to talk about what to do with wax. Oh, that's a fun one. Get your craft hands on. All right. Well, thank you so much, Melinda. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.